1: Let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up, when death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top bill and rise up when famine claims millions when justice gives blind eyes to billions when the lord's anger is no longer feared if his protection is gone and your enemies are near if you've seen the sea spill over and the mountains shake break and fall if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all Rise up, no Rise up. matter if the prize
2: Peace is and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network, a program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate on the issue of 21st century legalized slavery. Hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Parthas, with new abolitionist and actionist Johannes Eliah and Black Talk Media project founder Scotty Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking, along with projects and people who help combat it. Today is the June seventh, two thousand and seventeen broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio. Our last broadcast before our anniversary date of six thirteen. We would like to think that we've made a real impact and a difference in agitating, supporting, and advancing the abolitionist narratives and cause—the cause of freedom from legalized slavery and persecution. Feel free to call us in, call in tonight, and let us know what you think. At 866-510-9025. On this date. In history, June 7, 1712, Pennsylvania freed all slaves living in the colony over 150 years before the Emancipation Proclamation. However, by an act of Queen Anne on February 20, 1713, the decision was negated, declaring it was neither just nor convenient to set them at liberty. Also, on this day in 1775, the United Colonies changed their name to the United States. Our guest on this memorable occasion is the San Diego-based iconic activist, actionist, community leader, and abolitionist Leila H. Aziz We are only two months away from the largest public gathering of slavery abolitionists in U.S. history at the Millions for Prisoners March on Washington And following on the heels of the largest organized U.S. slavery rebellion in the form of the September 9th prison labor work strike It's going down People get ready. A change is coming. Some of the stories we'll try and cover today include, first, by Hillary Clinton's own admission in her book, The Clintons Had Slaves. That's what the headlines say, and it is indeed, and in fact, true. The Twitter response to this news was epic. We'll explain what and how. Then, the cost of imprisoning each of California's 130,000 inmates is expected to reach a record $75,560 In the next uh, More than the In the next year More than the annual cost Of attending Harvard University And a clear indication Of priorities Also We live in an age When every face On the street Is being randomly Scanned for warrants Some cities Have more arrest warrants Than they do people So let's tell the story Of how 1.2 million New Yorkers Ended up with Arrest warrants If time allows will listen to a message from imprisoned activist Carrie Shaka Buna Marshall about the upcoming Millions for Prisoners Human Rights March on Washington. Lastly, Juneteenth is the oldest known celebration commemorating the ending of slavery in the United States. It, is, it occurs on June 19th. As modern abolitionists, we have a few words to say about that. We'll also talk a little bit about what being an ally means in this time when unity is paramount. And from our Information overflow, cutting room floor. You know, we got a lot of that. New allegations arise in federal racketeering case against Baltimore police officers. Abolitionist David Comas' congressional run in South Carolina is about to come to a conclusion. And the lead detective of the Fairfield Police Department's Narcotics Unit, unit was charged Friday with stealing heroin and other drugs seized during police operations. Then... Western Kentucky University will give black students free tuitions as an apology for slavery. And in what's being described as a watershed decision, the California Supreme Court has overturned three convictions after finding a prosecutor had intentionally excluded Latinx candidates from the jury. We'll cover what we can and share what we can't. Be sure to follow the new Abolitionist Radio page on Facebook to stay up to date. Our abolitionist and profile will be provided by Scotty Reed, a writer of the 21st Century Underground Railroad, is Williams Barnhouse, who on May 10, 2017, became the 350th person exonerated through DNA evidence. And in our new segment, For Freedom's Sake, A History of Rebellion, we will be remembering the Combahee River Raid of June 2, 1863, when Harriet Tubman, under the command of Union Colonel James Montgomery, led 150 black Union soldiers and freed almost 800 enslaved men, women, and children. Got a question or a comment? You can call us at 866-510-9025. You can chat with us and others by logging in at uberconference.com slash Network. What's happening, Brother Scotty Reed? How you doing, man?
0: Hey, Max, I'm looking forward to tonight's program and, of course, speaking to a um, uh, fellow abolitionists about their work, her work, and, um, you know, trying to end slavery. It's just that simple, really. You know, I was thinking earlier about how we come up with these very complicated formulas or theories and what have you and, and trying to break down the problem that's quite Quite simple to understand. It's slavery. Everything else is a symptom of slavery, and that can be documented. But I just wanted to remind the listeners that if you want to ask a question or a comment, just hit star star. You do have to uh, still, you know, take that extra action in order for us to know that you want to have a question, or we have, we will assume that you're just listening. So I don't want to hold up anyone. Uh, Max, It's been, uh, over the past couple of days, just kind of busy, real, real busy, uh, trying to keep producing more and more uh, podcasts and doing research to um, identify problems and temporary solutions. Like, I found the Enforcement Act of 1871, uh, which was also known as the Ku Klux Klan Act, which President uh, Ulysses S. Grant, who was a former union general, uh, we know, uh, during that time period, he asked for legislation to deal with these former Confederates turned Ku Klux Klan terrorists. And he got that legislation. That legislation is still on the, on the books with minor updates, um, to it. I think it was in the 1980s. They made a, a minor update that allow, Enslaved persons to sue prison guards and whatnot. These are laws that's on the book, man, that I had no idea about. And so I've been trying to tell other people about it. But, you know, Max, it just, again, when we talked about the Obama administration and how he had this message of hope and change. And, and indeed, a lot of people uh, bought in, into that. And I can understand why, you know, the psychology of why um, they gave him so much support. But, now that his 8 years is done we have to objectively analyze and one of the things i just heard a lot of people say uh during his time in office was well he had republicans um blocking everything that he wanted to do and that's true to a certain extent when you got a republican congress and you're you know you the long um democrat in the equation of the three branches of, of government then it's pretty hard to get your agenda pushed through. Now, he did push through a lot of stuff, but it wasn't to our benefit. It wasn't to the cause of freedom and liberty. He did some superficial things like, you know, commute some sentences and things of that nature or saying in the last three months of his administration, we're going to phase out private prisons. Now, if he'd have done that at the beginning of his second term, we wouldn't even be talking about private prisons today because the market forces would have killed him. But that, but when we talked, looked at that terrorist attack down there in South Carolina on uh, uh, Mother Emmanuel and those nine uh, victims of terrorism, um, he had the tools, man, to go after. Because do you recall Max when he said when the website, the white supremacist website that Dylan Roof was reading, and they were saying radicalized him and. This was a nonprofit organization, and Barack Obama talked about he wanted some legislation, which he was never going to get from Republicans, but talked about some legislation to where he can make the donors to these organizations' names public. Well, guess what? The uh, 1871, also known as the uh, Civil Rights Act of 1871, also known as the Ku Klux Klan Act, Of 1871 gave him the tools to treat them just how they treat Al Qaeda or anybody they label ISIS or enemy combatant. The so and and, I mean this has been on the books for almost 150 years. 150 years, what 130 years, and then another update in the 80s. And you did not use those tools with two black U.S. Attorney Generals, uh, both your terms. And y'all did not treat these people like the terrorists that they are. Oh man, Max. I ain't mean to ramble, man, but that's what I've been up to, man. Trying to I see that brother. Try to figure out, you know, how we got into this situation and, well, and what needs to be done to address this cancer of slavery.
2: I was hoping that uh we would take just a moment to remember some of the accomplishments we've gained here in the Last five years on New Abolitionist Radio, some of the things we witnessed—the changes, stupendous changes—that did not exist before we came along. You know, you talked about Barack Obama, and remember back in two thousand and twelve during the State of the Union uh, uh, State of the Union speech that he gave, there were exactly zero mentions of criminal justice reform, no mentions of mass incarceration. No mentions of any of that uh, Him being pushed into speaking about this And reacting to it Was a direct result of the abolitionist movement I'd like to believe And, and that's just one of the things Anything that really sticks out in your mind, Scotty Over these past five years Because uh, I know I've got a bunch of them I won't go over them all But I would like to just mention two or three of
0: them Well, yes You just mentioned Barack Obama that occurred as a result of the new abolitionist movement, people who classify themselves as abolitionists in this new era of slavery. You meeting with uh, members of Bernie Sanders' campaign team down there in South Carolina uh, at an event that Bernie Sanders spoke for, um, I know that that legislation to end private prisons came about as a direct result of the abolitionist you know, movement. Um, that has been going on for quite some time, but it seems to really be picking up, um, um sting for lack of a better word, but you know, picking up momentum as more people become aware that slavery was never abolished. So, I, I believe that's some of the things that speak out, uh, stick out to me, and I also believe every abolitionist in this modern era in politics that has run. Uh, for office has been on this program, been a guest on this program. Uh, whether we, <laughs> yes, on, sir, and, and so I mean, five years, man, it's, it's just a whole lot that we could do.
2: And they didn't exist before Reverend uh, they didn't exist, it had never happened before the 1800s. And we identified that and
0: reported it and had him on. So, mm-hmm. I, so yeah, it's just a number of things the cause. When we would infiltrate the, uh, the GO groups and the CCAs, now known as Core Civic, whether we were uh, listening to the calls live, hoping to get in a question or two, but of course they didn't allow us to say anything on their earnings calls. These are earning calls for slavery. How much did we make off of uh, human bodies and trafficking human bodies today? Of course they wasn't using those terms but that's what we were listening to and and just some of those old um you know sessions where we would replay that but then break it down you know on a program and and really translate mm-hmm. what these people were talking about which Johannin was particularly good at that
2: you know you mentioned about the political candidates which is real change you can see that happening like david coma right now running for congress in south carolina as a slavery abolitionist and speaking clearly about it. So, those are real changes that we helped put into effect. Another one that I, 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 one of two really big ones, I think, first of all, is the divestment campaigns that really initiated with Columbia University and the students there. And since that initial uh, divestment came, the campaign, we've seen at least $3 billion be shifted out of, in particular, Wells Fargo's pockets, but from prison constructions in general. Uh, Teachers union across the country have been pulling out their 401k plans that have been uh, invested into private prisons. So we've watched prisons lose a lot of money. Uh, Also on August 18th of last year, when we saw that they could bleed and they could die, and they almost did in one day when the Department of Justice announced they would no longer be using the services of private prisons. And they did that again as in answer to the outcry from abolitionists complaining about the corruption within these prison industries. And then finally, I think one of the biggest of all is that I'd like to think that we helped inspire the documentary 13th by Avon DuVernay. Just to putting the conversation out in the air continuously over and over again and get more and more people talking about it. And I think that that led. Uh, I'd like to think at least that it led to her coming up with let's write about it, let's talk about it and putting it out into a film that was nominated for an Oscar
0: uh, Just for the historical record, it actually um, I agree with you that we probably had an influence on that but it was an unnamed Netflix executive that came up with the idea for a documentary on the 13th and took it to Ava DuVernay Wasn't an ideal that she hashed or or something she Mm. took to them. They took the project to her. So, to whoever that unnamed executive is, um, I I wish that we knew your name so that we could record your name in the annals
2: of abolitionism in this modern era. Amen. Amen. You know, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't matter how it got out there, it got out there. And I know that until we really came along and started pushing and getting everybody to push and taking a stand. A real firm stand on what it was we were dealing with and getting people to change their language and their perspectives and their minds that uh, this has caused this effect towards uh, what we were looking at before as critical mass when people just started knowing. You know what I mean? We put the message out there along with others, many others, and that message was truth. And that truth is spreading like wildfire now, which manifests in the uh, recent news article about the Clintons. But before we get into the Clintons, uh, I told our guests I would bring her in about 815 to 820, uh, unless there's a couple of other moments that you'd like to remember, and there are so many of them, Scotty Reed.
0: Um, Uh, No, no, we could could say that for uh, our anniversary, but I'm uh, looking forward to hearing from our guests and our listeners. Well, our anniversary, uh, it
2: comes, uh, well, we'll be on air the day after our anniversary. Yeah, we do it the day after. Alright, sounds that sounds good. We could do that, because we need to save a little time today. we got a special guest coming in, um, and uh, let me just pull up her bio that she sent me here today. Uh, it's a pretty long and extensive one, but I must tell you that one of the proudest things about Leila Aziz that I saw was when she spoke directly to uh, our sister Angela Davis, one of the forefounders of an abolitionist movement. Who now leads the prison abolitionist movement, or used to lead it? Well, she endorses it greatly and regularly. But she talked to her about the millions for prisoners march on Washington and asked her for her support and uh, her ideas on it. I was a little disappointed in uh, in the reply that she received because at that point, uh, Miss Davis kind of redirected everything towards prison abolition and didn't really address the Thirteenth Amendment and how it applies. To modern-day slavery at that point, but she stood up and she asked, and that was beautiful. Later, uh Aziz was born in the nation of Islam in New York uh, Island, New York, in 1975. She moved to San Diego, California, with her father when her parents divorced at the age of ten. Where she would travel back and forth between both coasts. Her experience with the criminal justice system began when her boyfriend was gunned down in San Diego at the age of 18. After returning to San Diego. After a brief hiatus following his death, she began working in a community as a youth advocate. She rose from the bottom of her organization, working as the marketing specialist, case manager, program manager, director of Strategic Alliance, to finally the director of operations. Lady Aziz currently leads an organization which focuses on workforce development and mentoring for youth and adults who have been touched by incarceration. She is a grant writer who has secured over $5 million worth of funds within the last five years to implement programs in her community. This was not enough, Mrs. Aziz, and she began to see the similarities in the nonprofit industrial complex and the prison industrial complex. Lena Aziz began steps towards advocacy and revolution in the criminal justice system. Initially, she began working closely with reform groups, such as the Youth Bear Sentencing Project, who did phenomenal work around S.P. 261, SB 260, and Proposition 57. In July of 2016, Layla met with SJ and Crystal Roundtree and began working with them towards their dreams of eliminating the 13th Amendment. During this time, she was able to get expert tutelage from elders in the movement, such as Mama Candy and Max (laughs) Parthis. shout out. She also began working with George Jackson University and some of the comrades who were recently released from... California's notorious solitary confinement units. She also is a member of Families Against Life Without Parole, Fuel, Eliminating Felony Murder, People of Profit, Collective Resistance, the Sustainable agricultural, agricultural Commune, Pillars to the Community, and is on the Policy Committee of Moms of Black Boys, MOB, United for Social Change. All of these endeavors have one purpose. To eliminate the 13th Amendment by strategically partnering with current and potential allies. She is one of many, a slavery abolitionist. Every step is to ensure her children do not reach adulthood in a pro bondage legalized slave country. And we here at New Abolitionist Radio welcome you to our program, Leila Aziz. Please, sister. I think you might have to unmute her there, Scotty Reed. That's at San Diego.
0: Uh, yeah, we got a number of those on the board.
2: So we got a bunch of San Diego. Okay. Uh Lena, if you're listening right now, just press Star Star and that will unmute you and then we can talk we'll hear you.
0: There we go. Welcome. Hi,
3: how are you guys doing?
0: Okay. Peace, Thanks
3: sister, and you. welcome. Um wow, that was long. <laughs> We're talking about the bio. Um
2: It's uh, a beautiful bio. you accomplished great deeds in a short time, indeed. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you for your tutelage. Um, I I just do what I can do. Uh, And uh, today, I'm really proud to have you here because, you know, you are out there working hard to make this happen. And unlike uh, as many as we would hope, you have really adopted The Mindset that you're dealing with slavery And that's one of the things that we have really asked People to just do, just consider it, and when you Did, it it was real clear For you, and you've been acting like it ever since And I gotta say, I love you for that Thank you so much, sir So tell us a little Bit about yourself, and uh, Your your motivations, uh, strategies I mean, anything you wanna say, the forum Is yours, and by the way, uh, this is Scotty Here with me, too, Scotty Reed Hi, Scotty
0: Hi, Layla, and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio. Big fan of yours and that question. I saw the video Max shared it or, or posted, the video of you asking that direct question in a public forum. And just you asking that question is spreading abolitionists. As that video spread and people heard your question. And so I just want to relay to the listeners that that... How powerful it is when we put these questions to people out in the public forum and, and force them to ponder them, regardless of what they may answer with. Once the question is put out there and, and that question is, is the slavery we dealing with, then we never know the impact that that seed will have as it grows later in, in that uh, ground that you planted.
3: Thank you, and that ground that you guys planted. Um, one of the biggest things that I've noticed um, strategically in um, this movement and just coming in and having to have growth spurts, times of being very um, frustrated with the movement because it didn't seem like anyone was listening, and um, really positioning the message is that our message has to be clear. Um, I called myself an abolitionist initially. When I was a prison abolitionist. So What are you going to do with the rapist, Layla? Um, kill him. You see what I'm saying? And Max Parsons, help me really look at, we're not prison abolitionists, Layla. We're slave abolitionists. That's where we are. That's the clear message that we have, really looking at the Constitution and the fact that the 13th Amendment pretty much wipes us out of every form of citizenship that any other person has and how strategic they were in making sure this happened. You get angry. The first thing you do, When you find out the truth and you really see it, because there's no laws that were accidentally passed to stop people from voting. There were no laws that were accidentally passed to stop your fourth waiver from search and seizure. There were no laws that were accidentally passed to not give you the Eighth Amendment. All of this is grounded in slavery. And I see people try to play tricknology with the language of the 13th. Oh, no, that's not slavery. That's involuntary servitude. We can't vote. Um, they can search us at any time. We can't, we, we're, we're placed in, 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 in jail and, and as a parasitic bail system. What do you mean? It's slavery and indentured servitude. It's slavery. And how they're manipulating the laws to ensure that some of our boys, 18 years old, who never killed anyone under just archaic laws like the felony murder rule, and how you use that to give a kid who did no killing life without parole or the death penalty and that's more extreme than if he purposely walks up to a person and puts a gun to their head and shoots what are we doing people when are we going to really start looking at what's going on and why is it going on
2: so well said indeed uh and passion is uh, evident there in every word that you're expressing because you got to be passionate about this we are literally talking about life and death freedom and slavery not just for ourselves, but for our children. And the idea that because it's not happening to you, it doesn't exist, is ridiculous. It just at face value. If you just look beyond yourself, you can see all of these things occurring. I like to look at it, the difference between slavery of the 1800s and now, is that we're not born slaves, but we're born in a slavery hunting ground. And at any moment, any of us can become a slave temporarily, like the 12 years of Slave story uh, that is, has been told in film and in, in book. You know, all they have to do is pick up, pick you up. They get as many as they need. Like in California right now, uh, where you're at, they just reported that the price of incarcerating an adult is nearing eighty thousand dollars a year, which is more than it costs to go to Harvard. And that really shows you the priorities of what's important. They'll spend nine thousand a year to send you to school and eighty thousand a year to send you into a prison.
0: Yes, Max. I saw that story and I was outright outraged by it as well. I mean, it shows where their priorities are. Your priorities, when we're talking about the government—whether that's federal government, state government, local municipalities—they place money where their priorities are, and their priorities are not sending young people to college. Uh, With a free education, as the article stated, you know, it costs more to be incarcerated in California than it costs to go to Harvard, one of the so-called most expensive and prestigious schools in America. So that that just really shows you where the priorities are.
3: And, you know, every time that um, there's a person who has a rebuttal or an opponent of um, why people should be enslaved if they convict a crime, um, they'll tell you public safety. Well, look, look, if, if 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 we let people out, they're going to kill people and children will be killed. But yet you have a woman who the majority of the people who voted voted for this upcoming election who was very safe in a situation with slaves, prisoners, cooking her food and cleaning her mansion. This is not about public safety, and that's where it really starts. This is about money and both Republicans and Democrats are okay because their pockets are being lined with the blood of people, and most of these people are black and brown. And that's what we really have to look at and, and start really challenging anyone because Republicans and Democrats are our enemy in this system and challenging them. They lost Florida, and the only reason they care about the, um, the, the 1.5 million people who cannot vote for life because they were convicted of a felony, which is against the Constitution, doesn't say in the 15th Amendment that, that you're supposed to be able to vote. But they can't vote for life. Even after they've served their time, you lose Florida to Trump, and now you want to change the law. Isn't that interesting? So if we look at it, we see that it's, it's, it's slavery and slave proponents on both sides of the aisle, and that's the issue that we're having. No one wants to really say, you know what, we do have slavery. They
2: want to use every other word besides that. Yeah, that's a pet peeve of mine. It drives me nuts, especially when I listen to uh, U.S. publications like Nation Inside, which was founded as an abolitionist magazine and never has a word to say about modern-day slavery. They'll talk about what's happening in Indonesia. They'll talk about what's happening in India. They'll call that slavery. They'll describe everything that's going on in this system as if you were describing slavery and then turn around and call it something else. You know, and that Max, just, just drives me nuts It's a sense of cognitive dissonance Where it's right there in your face But you can't pucker up your lips and say it Because if you say the word slavery Not only do you have to change Everything you think has to change But the way you're dealing with this Has to change
0: Well Max I just wanted to uh, um, Just respond to something that Sister Layla just mentioned um, But David Kuma Gotta mention him he is running for Congress, U.S. Congress, out of South Carolina, and he clearly states that it's slavery, and that is why it is important that we keep engaging these politicians where we are. And I, like like she said, if, I don't care if you're a Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Green Party—none of that matters if you don't have an abolitionist plank as part of your platform. So, shout out to David Kuma running for uh, Congress in the South Carolina 5th District, is it, Max?
2: Yes, sir. 5th District. uh, You and I will be meeting with him in a week or so uh, coming up, where we'll be uh, helping him, trying to help him get elected and explaining what's going on about modern-day slavery and human trafficking. But Definitely, back to you, uh, my sister. Uh, Continue, if you don't mind, and and tell us more about your perspectives of what we're dealing with. Uh, What do you think our overall strategy should include and if it's okay with you, I know you ran into some issues when your mind changed, and I don't mean like personal issues, because we all deal with that five stages of mourning when we figure this out, but within your own community with people who had not come to that same conclusion, how did you deal with that? It um, it was frustrating. Um,
3: in my community, um, even though we are all harassed, stopped by the police, and um Our constitutional rights are just basically taken away day to day on the streets. a lot of people in my community cannot even fathom the world without a militarized police unit they don't understand how that world would look so we are even um, um, kind of brainwashed to believe that this system is here to ultimately protect us and that's one of the biggest issues that I had when I started talking to people in the community and talking to preachers, and a lot of it dealt with the fact that most people that I encountered did not know that the 13th Amendment still legalized slavery. That was surprising. And so that language in itself, um, that started to move people towards what I was saying, but it still wasn't tangible to them. Okay, Layla, so you're saying that if you go to prison or if you're convicted of a crime that you become a slave or don't do crime. So then we had to start looking at the policies that some people call laws, but they're really policies that different states and the federal government pass that then move you towards slavery. And we looked at gang documentation, and a lot of people are anti-gang, and but they started really drilling into that and looking at the fact that how can you make a person a gang member without due process of law, and then give them an enhancement based on that documentation add insult to injury, they did an audit of our gang system in California and I think we had, what, 20-something one-year-olds on our gang documentation list and it really showed how they weren't really paying attention to that data but yet people were getting enhancements of 25 to life. So we started looking. Okay, you're against me on this. We're kind of having a pushback, especially with the preachers, right? Look at it this way. If you sell dope, which is not good, no, I agree with you, but if the sentence is two years, and a person is documented, they're gonna get 12 when just a white boy who's a KKK member who's never gonna get documented is gonna get two. Is that okay with you? The fact that you're put on a gang documentation list and you've never had due process of law will prevent you from becoming an EMT or a firefighter. You've never been convicted of a crime in your life. Is that okay? You see how they're moving people towards (laughs) slavery? When you get to court, and you go through those readiness hearings and preliminary hearings and all of these different things, it seems like everybody is working against you and you don't have the money to pay for an attorney. So it's almost like the system in itself is pushing you towards slavery and then looking at what they're doing with immigration and putting these people into these, and that's another argument you tend to have. Well, don't come over here if you don't want to be a slave and don't come over here if you're not a citizen. And it kind of, it's the brainwashing that you have to constantly attack because a lot of times, like you said, people don't understand something that they have not been through. So we're start, trying to start with small, tangible things that a lot of people have been through, and that's bail. People don't know that when you pay a bail bondsman 15% to get out of jail, you basically just gave them money, and the average, well, the, a wealthy person never does that. They pay their full bail, and they get their full bail amount back in California. Let's attack the bail system. It's parasitic, and it shows you how this leads to the 13th Amendment, how people plea bargain, how people who are innocent just take a probation with a year just to get out and get back to their lives. Look at this system, and you see, once again, it's about money. It's, about, it's not about public safety, and it's willing to destroy a mother who has children who's at the depths of poverty in order to keep going. They say black women have the same eviction rate as black men's incarceration rates.
4: Look what we're dealing
3: with a complete attack on the black and brown family and it's strategic and it's a caste system if you just say what it is this is there's nothing different in America than in India
0: Sister Layla Yes sir Yes I would like to speak to the issue of family and women as we have been reporting over the past several months uh, based on some new reports that have come out that women are the fastest growing demographic Um, especially when it comes to those who are in state prisons, and a lot of them, the majority, over 50% of them are mothers. So we're we're talking about destroying the core of families. And so I know a lot of the mainstream focuses on on black males, and it should be. Um, But we're also ignoring new trends on new targets. And, I mean, it's just... I need to hear more, whether they go by the label feminist, um, or you know, just speaking on women's issues. And, and as was mentioned earlier, how could you how could you support a woman in a presidential election who has played such a critical role in? modern-day slavery in human trafficking and again so these women are being increasingly targeted i don't remember the exact figures uh it might have been eight times more than anybody else but um we could use the search engines and pull that up but i need more women's organizations to be become abolitionists make that part of their platform as well i agree
3: um Recently, one of the sisters um, in San Diego, her name is Mavis Thompson, she was kidnapped in juvenile court because she was challenging the judge, who she thought, and the defense pretenders, the public pretenders, um, who were basically, um, she felt, were going to railroad her minor son. She was given an obstruction of justice charge. And um, this woman is facing 11 years because she doesn't listen. 11 years in prison Mm. we're going to pay $75,000 a year $76,000 let's round it up a year because Mavis Thompson doesn't listen and that's okay with this system Mavis Thompson doesn't listen Um, we basically went out and we asked people to help us Um, we saw what was going on and um, some feminist groups stepped up one of them was um, STW Plus Liberation Um, one of um, Bree Davis um, she did a phenomenal job at working with us the Black Panthers were out there um, collective resistance was out there and we had um, some of our allies and it's good that you're going to talk about allies because what does it mean to be an ally um, they stepped up because we're also we refused to pay a bail bondsman to get her out they had this woman for not listening and a failure to appear and they dropped one of the failure to appears because they're the ones who gave her the wrong time and they still had this woman her bail was $150,000 when people for not listening when was people, that the woman who was pregnant, too? Yes, it is. The vegan pregnant woman. Yes, it is. She's home. She is home. Um, some people stepped up. Um, we went to court. They weren't bringing her to court, you guys. They were bringing her in the bottom of the courthouse and pretending she was at court. There were about 20, 30 of us there, though, at court. So we kept calling the DA's office, calling the jail to make sure she got medical treatment, um, rallying outside the actual county jail. And we were able, because of Brian Pease and, the, and another organization called the Peace Resource Center, um, to actually pay her full $50,000 bail in cash. Boy, were they mad. I can um, imagine they were. <laughs> when they went in there with that $50,000 cashier's check, Mavis's father um, and two um, white allies walked in there. Nobody was asked for ID. A goon, the goon squad came and attacked him, basically, and told him he can't even be on the jail Premises to pick up his daughter because he had been to prison before. We had problems at every angle um, just trying to free this woman who had been kidnapped for not listening. You know, and now they wait, want her
2: to go ahead. go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, it's totally you... fine. Go ahead, sir. It's just, for me, it just seems very odd that we don't seem to understand as a people here and as a nation that if you Continue to put this oppressive boot on a people's neck—that it has long-term and whole-scale consequences. You know, when you start talking about most of the people being in jail right now, being people of color in a nation where black people only make up less than thirteen percent of the nation, don't you believe that that will have some long-term consequences to the core, to the family, to the communities? If you're taking all these men out and all these women and children out because you feel you're keeping the community safe, which when we say the community, we know you mean the white community. Do you don't think that'll have an effect on the people? If these were wild animals, they would have more protected rights. But as human beings, you could just do all you want and don't think it have no consequences whatsoever.
3: I agree. That's part of moving um, and, and working and identifying true allies. And then... Um, really making them own up to the contradiction, and that's very, very important. Um, I used to always say that. There was a popular poem, Save the Whales, Save the Whales. No, Save the Black Males, and and that's exactly what you're hitting on, is the fact that um, for some reason, um, there's a lack of humanity that's going on, and um, I just don't understand. One of the things, I just had a, a, a back and forth with Indivisible, which is a pretty democratic organization that's pretty big. Um, And they are positioning themselves to oust Republicans in Congress in the 2020 election and um, making sure they're putting Democrats in there or the 2018 election, excuse me, to prepare for the 2020 election to go after Trump. And they're very, very um, focused on what they're doing. They are liberal. And so every time I would try to post something about the 13th Amendment, or anything of that nature, I ended up having... They wouldn't they wouldn't approve my post. So I began to just write on my Facebook that Indivisible were... They're basically fraud. Because once again, you're going to come and ask us to help you to get Florida, but you don't care about slavery. So let's be specific. And now how are you going to run Hillary when that, you know they want to run Hillary again? How are you going to run Hillary when she's pro-slavery? And those are the things that we're trying to get them to understand if you want to be allies this is the thing that we have to remember as black people specifically we hold there, because California we're progressive They're going to, the white people are going to go Democrat but it's the black people in these southern and midwest states that hold the power to swing an election we might not be much but like Malcolm X said we use our ballot like a bullet you're not going to just tell us to vote for you because the Republicans are racist that's not going to work. We're looking at specific issues that affect the black community. Why do you think this white woman, in, where is she, in Alabama? Why is she restoring the vote?
0: Right. Um,
3: Have we asked her? She's a Republican. I would like
0: to ask, uh, answer Max' rhetorical question about do they care about the long-term impact upon the communities and families? And, again, I get memories of pre-1865 slavery and all the stories we've read in the dramatic uh, recreations on film and in plays. And No, did they care about breaking up uh, families on plantations pre-1865? Did they care about the long-term impact? No, they cared about making that sale making that dollar and increasing their wealth. So just wanted to rhetorically uh, answer that question that no, it's it's the same as it was then. They don't care. Um, we do have a caller. Um, I don't know how long they've been on the board, but 757, thank you for calling in to New Abolitionist Radio. Did you have a comment or a question for our guest tonight, Sister Layla Aziz?
5: Oh, I just wanted to add. It's it's me, uh, Otis uh, Max and uh, Miss Layla and uh, Scotty. Please, it's me. Uh, she was talking about that system, the legal system. This ties back into what we talked about earlier with the power of district attorneys, judges that are being paid by the very same prison, prison industrial complex that gets money based on government contracts then use it. If they make a billion, they use two to three million of that to give donations back to the very same congressman that we're talking about on both sides. The thing that really gets me when you start talking about trying to get black people to understand it, the religious part of this is so much of why it's hard to turn people around. Most of into these
0: facilities, pastoring and trying to save people. You got most of the industry. Oldest, you saying oldest for so some reason? Cleaning, your, your phone keeps going in and out. But to your point about the churches, um, and we have had some disappointment with a few churches we reached out to. Um, um, you know, to go and allow us to speak to their congregations about abolitionists and and pointing out that this is slavery but we can turn that around by just using the right sort of message and we know the church church's historical role in abolitionists and one of the very first modern abolitionist candidates that ran for congress out of illinois i believe was reverend or in yeah illinois was the illinois max reverend a job He was a reverend. I mean, he is a minister. So, um, so I do agree that the black church has lost its historical place and being the moral consciousness of America and being the uh, center of abolitionist activity pre eighteen sixty five and i mentioned emmanuel um church down there in charleston south carolina it was burnt down to the ground because of its opposition to slavery not just vocal but real activities against slavery um and so i agree with you but i also can see a opening with the right message and so we have to redouble our wow. recruiting efforts of that's, individual that's- pastors
5: That's what I was actually trying to get around to After listening to y'all repeatedly I'm convinced that Just like I see Max going around Talking about the abolition part of it I'm really looking at Trying to put together a program To start going around And explaining how the tentacles Of this system Is destroying us So that you can turn the churches around Because I don't think people really understand I mean even talking to my immediate family they give the very same retort. Oh, if you don't want to do the crime, you're not understanding. Khalif Browder is a perfect example. And, and I'm talking to my mom and sisters, trying to explain to them. He's, that, when he went to Rikers, he just happened to be the eccentric case that was there for three years. But the truth is, this is happening all over this country. Just like I heard Ms. Layla talking about how they did the, the pregnant woman. That is exactly what they do on a small scale. When you've got a police force that is making money off the of asset for, forfeiture and making sure that as long as the crime rate is elevating, they know that they're going to get funds to increase the size of the police department, what you're doing is giving people a monetary incentive to not care. And unless it gets explained to people, they stay with the standard uh, if you don't want to do crime, don't, don't go to jail You don't want to go to jail, don't do the crime No, it's more than that Innocent people are being swept up And then coerced into criminality
2: Right, or well, being criminalized Like we'll talk about later with the tickets And uh, the warrants in New York uh, City I'd like to ask later Have you had any problems with working with the local religious organizations? Um, have they accepted, or any of them accepted this narrative of legalized slavery and human trafficking?
3: They haven't embraced it to the level that I've wanted them to embrace it. There's a lot of education that needs to go around. The churches, basically, is, and let's just be truthful, they're money makers. And so they're there to increase their funds. They're not very big on um, activism or or pushing to change laws. Um, and a lot of the actual... I remember if you wanted to Get elected you went to the church A lot of the churches now are being Neutral even when it comes to Issues because they want to make sure they can get Money or they're able to Sway anyone um, based on What their position is but I haven't Given up I'm like you Max I have not given up On the churches I have not given up I just look at it as I have not done Enough work and so I need to get
2: deeper Into the church there is One church that has joined our ranks Fully it seems and well not Completely, but let's just say the black section of that church has joined our ranks, and that would be the Quakers. The Quakers have been working with us closely now. Shout-out to people like Sharon Smith and Sarah Williams, who uh, who have stood by me side-by-side and and talked the same rhetoric that I talk. So the Quakers have started to move back into their historical position. And I remember uh, uh,
0: everyone, uh, I would like to just point out one of the very few uh, Good things, things to come out side of the uh, Donald Trump. Is really that I told Hold up. I'm getting some feedback Please, from somewhere. Started. I think that's off back your back line, in. Otis. Yeah, that was coming off your line, Otis. Sorry, sorry, I had to mute you if you want to chime back in. Um, okay. star, star. Um, the Trump administration recently signed a law that he says is giving back, um, their free speech rights to churches. Now, we know that he did this as a bone to the right-wing evangelicals, like at Liberty University, where he gave that speech. But, now churches no longer have an excuse to not get involved by saying oh that's political and our 501c3 prohibit us from engaging in politics because you know we're going to have to go through politics in order to end slavery everything's controlled by politics and so now no longer they have that excuse because Donald Trump just allowed them to engage in activism under freedom of speech so I just want to point that out. Because a lot of times in the past, that could be a valid excuse of why they weren't as involved as they were pre-1865.
2: That was one of the first things I heard when I started approaching the church, and I approached my local church first. And they told me that A, their congregation ain't that big to make a difference, and B, that they would be risking their 501c3 uh, status by engaging in political activities. And I've heard that on more than one occasion. They were more concerned about whether or not they maintained their 501c3 status than freeing people who are in bondage. And that was shameful to me.
3: And I'm going to agree with you. Um, The Quaker Church in San Diego has stepped up to the plate also. And they've done some phenomenal work. And that has been the consistent church. And historically, they're right where they need to be. We need the black church to step up. And then we need also the Hispanic churches to step up because I'm looking at churches, I'm
2: talking about two, three, four on every block. Yeah. Especially here where I'm at in South Carolina, where we have like McDonald's franchises. They're everywhere, you know, in Bible belt, but uh, we really need to get them involved. They need to take their place in uh, what's going on and be on the right side of history. Well, and that kind of leads me to the question of allyship, which we just sh- shortly discussed a little while ago. This Now, I'm leaving the realm of what I know for a fact to what I believe personally, okay? Just so you know, this is my opinion. But it's really hard for me to be standing next to someone, and we're talking about the same subject, right? We're talking about, let's just say mass incarceration for the purpose of this uh, argument, right? So we're talking about mass incarceration, and then I start talking about how it's really slavery, like either one of you would be doing. And the person who is in the fight with me, standing next to me, thinks that I'm a damn fool and that I'm talking some chicken little stuff and everything I'm saying is not really true, but I'm in the fight with them, so they're going to stand next to me. That doesn't feel like an ally to me. It's very condescending. You're not even entertaining my argument. You don't even want to consider it, but you want to stand next to me and fight. I feel some kind of way about that. I don't know about you two or three, which you on the line right now But me personally, I don't feel like that's being an ally I feel like that's just being condescending And using me to advance your own agendas
5: I'm at complete refusal
3: I'm with you And you have personally um, Started to eliminate the term Mass incarceration from my vocabulary Based on what you wrote um, Basically call it what it is It's slavery And that's how we really have to start attacking it Language in itself So every time someone says mass incarceration, no, I'm not talking about mass incarceration. I'm talking about slavery. And that in itself starts to really shift people's ideologies and understanding of what this really is. If you're an ally of mine and you don't understand that we have people currently in slavery, two million people in slavery, and that has nothing to do with public safety, then you're not an ally of mine. And that's where we have to start. A lot of times when we do partner with different people or organizations, they want to push their little watered-down agenda. And basically you have to pull away from the table at that point. If you can't say that slavery exists and you can't own that and this is just a party for you and you want to reform, basically you want to help keep the system where it is, then we have nothing to talk about. And not only that, I'm going to hold you accountable to your contradictions. And I think that's important.
2: Yes. I I will applaud people who are doing good work. I don't care what you think, whether it's slavery or not. If you're doing good work, I will applaud you. The Innocence Project has never said this is slavery, but they're out there freeing people every day from prisons. Uh, Same thing applies to people who work within the prison to, you know, help with letter-writing campaigns or visitation, bringing people back and forth to visit their loved ones. That's good work it's beautiful and we need it but we also need you to change your mind about what you're really dealing with while you're working on those uh, uh, projects and uh, at different areas of uh, where help is needed
3: i agree 100 percent because i i'll participate in things that i have deemed um, reform such as our bail reform going on in california but it's not going to take me from that's a strategic reform effort To topple the system ultimately As far as slavery is So as long as I can keep committed there If I lose focus then I know I've lost my way So I totally agree with you Good work is good work But it's our job to make sure they understand
2: the work Exactly, exactly And just to point out so people understand When you're talking about the bail industry Which is primarily funded by insurance companies We're talking about an industry That only exists in two countries On the entire planet That's us and the Philippines Everybody else thinks that this is Immoral, unjust, and unethical But here we are, every day Doing what is un- immoral, unjust, and unethical And if you go to certain communities You'll see three, four, five 4, 5 bail bondsmen All on the same block Just profiting off the suffering Of their neighbors Max, The um, fact that, that dog, the bounty hunter Came to,
3: to lobby to keep this I'm like, you
2: people have Scotty, you were saying?
0: Oh yeah. Well, I w- I didn't mean to interrupt. Her. I seem to be having some issues on my end with my my audio. It's just one of those uh, nights where we had these little gremlins. But um, she just brought up Dog the Bounty Hunter. I didn't know that he had actually came out there to take a political stand and lobby for the bail system. But again, like Malcolm said, media most powerful entity on the face of the planet and media has played a big role in why people are not seeing it as slavery. I mean, we had to go back to to the first uh, program. What was it? I forget what the name, cops and then the one about the prison lockup and, and all of that. It, and slavery has become entertainment and they're profiting off of it. So it, it's just, man, this system is so messed up. But going back to what Max was saying about the good works and, and what have you even though an organization maybe has not come to the realization of what they're truly dealing with we still need people to treat those symptoms because you know like the Innocence Project if they weren't doing what they were doing it you know that would be a hundred people a year or how many uh, ever they're getting out every year that would have never gotten out so yes I do believe in giving our allies some leeway But at the same time, at the end of the day, you know, still educating them and maintaining my position that this is slavery. That's what you're really working on, the symptom of uh, slavery. I support what you're doing, but I still view what you're doing as, uh, um, you know, um, treating a symptom of slavery. But I'm going to be here when you come around to that realization.
2: Yes, sir. Well, listen, we are on our first break. I am going to take this break. When I come back, we take another call if anybody's calling and wants to ask a question or speak. Uh, To Layla here tonight And uh, then we'll give her a chance to say Whatever she wants to say And uh, get on to our our Rest of the show here You're listening to the new abolitionist radio Today we have our special guest Layla Aziz out of San Diego And she's telling us about her struggles In this abolitionist movement We'll be right back after these messages
6: The Black Talk Media Project funds the use of new media technology in efforts to restore independent black voices to the myriad of issues affecting Afro-descendant people all over the planet. If media can control the minds of the masses, as Malcolm X once said, then you must ask yourself, who is in control of the media targeting the masses of black people today? Help bring back independence, self-determination, and respect for black culture in the production of global media by joining the effort to crowdfund new black media for the new millennium. Visit blacktalkmediaproject.org for more information on how you can invest in public black radio for the masses.
2: Please welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio If you've been listening in to our interview here with Eli Aziz And you want to uh, ask a question or Make a comment uh, Now is the time Just press star star to unmute yourself And state your name Where you're calling from And what your comment or question is I see you got a few friends from the California area Uh, Anyone Scotty? There you go We got a 817 on the line Welcome to New Abolitionist Radio I see they are muted themselves I forgot but... to unmute the oh. phone Hello Hello Welcome to New Abolitionist Radio uh, You're here with uh, Max Potter, Scotty Reed and Layla uh, Aziz
6: Yeah um, Thanks Sister Layla For My name is Pamela Woodfirst And um, I run a magazine out of California It's called Empress Magazine And it was inspired by Layla He um, you know, always says Peace Empress and then we go into our conversation about um, her abolitionist work or whatever is going on in, during that day. But she has been such an inspiration for me to take the power of the pen and the media and use it for the movement, for the abolitionist movement. Um, I've learned a great deal from Sister Layla in the past, I'd say the past year, past six months. Um, we met years ago, probably about 20 years ago, And um, I encountered her again at a People Over Profits rally. And um, she's just an amazing individual. Um, One of the things that we've been working on in San Diego recently is the um, Mavis Thompson case. And with Mavis Thompson, I've been speaking a lot with her because I'm interviewing her, doing an ongoing interview about her case. And one of the things that she told me that just shocked me hurt my heart yesterday was that they were trying to get her to sign a 10-year order of protection as part of her deal for her obstruction of justice case. That bothers me for two reasons. One, it makes it look like she was really neglecting her child and she accepts that deal. Mm Two, it breaks down the foundation of the family. And then the third reason, is she has to abandon her son. For ten years, that child is without its mother. Award of the sister. So I just wanted to say that um, we need to rally around Sister Mavis and make sure that the district attorney needs to come out and with something better or nothing at all. The charges really need to be dropped. But she's going through a lot for no reason. They're attacking her character. They're attacking her motherhood. They're you know, and they they do this to almost. Um, every black woman that goes through the system but with Mavis they're going a little bit harder because of her stance as a cop watcher that's all I wanted to say
2: indeed and you mentioned like how the tree of life works (laughs) where you know one inspires another and another inspires another and inspiration is one of those things like love you know where it, it really works best when it's shared and to hear your testimony how she inspired you is uplifting thank you indeed for that
3: Thank you. And and it is mutual, Pam. Oh, I really The work you. that you're doing, I want to thank you so much. Um, Pam, any time we're having any um, issues or we want to get something out there about the abolitionist movement or anything, Pam utilizes the magazine, but there's something else that Pam does. She's also a connector. Pam connected me with mothers, moms of black boys. It's 170,000 women of all races and nationalities who have black sons. And this group was started by, I went on its public information, it's, it was started by the um, vice president of BET and Viacom, who's a black mom. And there they have a policy committee and that's what they're pushing, Max. And um, so right now I'm under the tutelage of some sisters, phenomenal attorneys. Um, and this is because of Pam's connection and I'm really starting to get my my hands dirty on making this bigger. Um, and thats I, I felt like I was in a silo for so long. And because of people like Pam and people like Bree and Tegan and just everyone, um, we're working together. And that's why it's a mutual love and a mutual accountability and a mutual push. So I want to thank Pam just for that, which is everything.
2: The chaos is subject to initial conditions. It's Just the smallest changes in the system can change the entire system. And then it happens when you start enlightening people on what's going on, particularly when it comes to law. Uh, just recently, the National Lawyers Guild endorsed the Millions for Prisoners March on washington, and that's uh, that is really huge as far as I'm concerned because now you're talking about an army of lawyers looking into this, and because of circumstances like that, getting our legal allies involved, we've seen historical moments where, for instance, out in I believe it's in California, the immigrants are suing the state for slave labor laws. And uh that's an ongoing process case going right now that's heading towards the Supreme Court, yeah, Max. And when
0: y'all were talking earlier about the uh Hispanic groups and what have you because they are um if well they are a potent, important voting block in their own right, and they can use that ballot as a bullet too, as sister Layla you know quoted um, Malcolm X but I have not seen of the, like, let's say the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce or even La Raza. I haven't seen any of those large, well-known Hispanic organizations come out as abolitionists and say that this so-called immigration um, detention is really slavery. It's it's slavery. And remember, we had on our Asian-American abolitionist lawyer, uh, S- S- Sister Angela Angela Chief. Chan. From out there in California, and she wrote an article about how that's even, you know, lo- using constitutional argument that that's slavery and pointing to the 13th Amendment. So, yeah, we're making strides, man. That's one of those memories you asked for earlier, and that's Angela Chen.
2: Yes, yes. I, I was also very inspired when uh, Sean King did the same thing and wrote an article through the New York Times about how, or the Daily News how slavery never ended. You know what I mean? It's unfortunate that they write these articles and then forget them afterwards and start talking about reform, but you know, they they wrote them and that's a move forward in getting people to wake up. Because not everybody wakes up immediately, sometimes it takes a little bit of time. And we're so adamant about the idea of using certain language and terms and identifiers because it does make a big difference. When you're talking about you're an abolitionist, that means you want to see an end to slavery, an end to human trafficking, which is legalized through the 13th Amendment and practiced everywhere USA. When you're talking as a reformist, you want to reform a crime against humanity. That's how we see it. You're talking about reforming or fixing something that shouldn't even exist.
3: I agree totally, uh, Max and Scotty. And um, I've noticed that um, Union del Barrio, they're doing a big prison conference, and they are abolitionists. And Kathy, um, who is um, the significant other of the late Ernesto Bustillo, Sr., who started Union del Barrio, she told me what you told me, two people I respect. She said, Layla, we are not prison abolitionists, because we're going to put some of those people who did this to us in prison when we get done. oh uh-huh. are
2: Slavery Abolitionist. Man, I just want to play that on replay over and over again. We are going to put some of these people who have done this to us in the same cages they wanted to put us in. And at the top of my list of shit to do and people to put in a prison would be Hillary Clinton. Because everything that is going on right now keeps pointing back to 1994 and the birth of Black and Hut Corrections Corporation, which got 70 to 80 percent of their money coming from the Clinton administration, and the narratives that they put out about super predators and criminalizing black life and black people, that led to one of the largest uh, eras of incarceration that we've seen since the fugitive slave laws. This woman is so guilty that if you look up the word guilty in a dictionary, her face will be next to it. Her and her husband.
0: Well Max, yeah, I know a lot about, that, Go ahead, I'm sorry. Well that the challenge again comes back to as I spoke earlier about women's organizations. And I'm including the sororities and, and all of that because I had actually um shared that, that abolitionist message with a black woman who was on a radio show on a panel um, and she did, was totally unaware that it was affecting women on that level. And she was saying sororities need to get involved. So when I say women's organizations, you know, the, the Professor Bell Hooks, I was so encouraged, inspired, and, and you know, just uh, applauded her when she refused to endorse Hillary Clinton. And she said, it's not just about a woman, it, it's about the woman. And what this woman has done, you can't ask me as a woman to endorse her, or and and so because that's endorsing what she has stood for. So that that's again that cognitive dissonance among women trying
2: to get the fox to fix what the wolf caused, the problems the wolf caused, huh? <laughs> Man, well, we are. Um Coming to the conclusion of our interview And I would like to open up the line one more time If anybody has a question or comment We got a call from later. New York Yes, uh, you're uh, Here with us on New Abolitionist okay. Radio If you've got a question or comment Just state your name and your question or comment Where are you calling from
4: Yeah, I'm um, B.J. from the um, Carolina, Carolina area um, S.J. from
2: Jailhouse I you speak Hey, you kind of- and welcome
4: <laughs> yeah, so I gotta, gotta brief from hungry. <laughs> but uh, I just um, wanted to first, when the I want to applaud you all for the work you all are doing on your radio program. You know, I'm, it is a uh, humongous tool and movement. You know, uh, whether uh, no matter how they're going about their work, I think many people your program. I want to thank my sister comrade Layla for coming on the program as well. Um, I think she's uh, definitely um, expressed the platform uh, very eloquently all around the board. So I just want to touch bases and I'll let you know. Got a block right here, right now. Sell block here, right now. We're probably about seven or eight. Yeah, we're just listening and breaking bread together. And I said, i hit the stop, stop. So tone that so I can at least be while we're all doing, man. And I'm definitely right smart. Um, so just want to. Thank
2: you. Man, in this broadcast, our anniversary broadcast, relatively speaking, I have had more reasons to smile than a little bit. <laughs> I'm just saying, man, thank you. Uh for all of the work that you are all doing, man. It's beautiful to see this movement coming together with a real solution. A real solution. And we all know that we have a better chance of beating this beast using the Constitution of the United States than we do. Uh, working on symptoms to beat it in its entirety this i believe you said this uh jess that uh, say that this is uh, a time where um we have never had a better chance to be unified under one ideal than this
0: right and he spoke about the tools and again our uh, anniversary isn't into next week but max asked me earlier and if I'm not mistaken, did he not just say he called in from a, a prison plantation?
2: Yes sir with seven, eight brothers and sitting how many times together has listening that to this conversation about the future.
0: And so how many times has that happened and Max you had, we had a private conversation where you were saying that hey, you gave birth to a movement and I was like no we just are in the right time with the right technology that we are able to make those connections so so you know, I appreciate it whenever we hear from the victims and, and just the solidarity um, that we have with them, and and so they have uh, really been involved in in this fight uh, for their own freedom, and that just makes me feel feel very good. And I had spoke to my best friend who's behind bars uh, the other day, yesterday, and he uh, is in North Carolina, and uh, as well and I'm not going to give his name out cuz I don't want to, you know, put him on the radar any more than he already is but he is organizing and um you know he is supportive of the march I already knew about it the uh, April 19th march um, excuse me not april august 19th march in washington dc for prisoners human rights and and he is an abolitionist and he recognized the 13th amendment did not abolish slavery either so it's just great man when we could you know make those connections with people in those conditions and and just break bread and strategize on how we're going to end it from without and from within Amen you, you know mean, I don't necessarily look collar. like
2: look at All our brothers and sisters behind enemy lines Or inside the belly of be such victims Sometimes God puts you In those positions where you could do the most work from You never yeah. know what it is That you're able to accomplish from anywhere yeah, uh, You know just look at the Free Alabama movement for instance They have started something that is globally Recognized now yeah. And had they never been in those places At those times that would not have occurred So yeah you never know hey, um, Amen Yes, I think we got a call. Um, I
0: can't see the telephone number on my board, but uh, uh, it's showing a phone from New York in the New York area. Uh, if you would like to speak, now's the time as as we wrap up our segment with our guests. Okay. Peace. Hey, hey so that much. sound like Brother Tag. Like Brother What's Tag. going on?
7: Peace, peace to you all. Uh, this is Tag, and uh, peace, Tag. It, Peace. It, it's it's great hearing uh, all that I've heard since I've been able to get on on to uh, the call to listen in. Um, I just felt compelled to chime in because you were talking about uh, Sister Hillary, and I wanted to just uh, check in to see if if y'all were discussing her plans for tomorrow uh, here in the New York City, um, particularly in Brooklyn. Uh, no sir i'm aware
2: of it i hadn't had the opportunity to speak on it, but if you'd like to uh, brief us quickly, please do so
7: yeah i mean i I almost uh, don't want to because it's been such i've just been it's been such an uplifting moment but uh just to uh, let people know, particularly if you 're in New York or the tri state area um, Hillary Clinton will be uh, receiving an honorary doctorate and will be giving the commencement speech at uh, the graduation of none other than Medgar Evers College and uh, and it will apparently be uh, delivered to her by uh, Medgar Evers family Um, you know his his wife and uh, children children I think even grandchildren so um, it's really just in light of all that we know about her and her history and her slaveholding and her perpetuation of the, of the logics of, of enslavement in this country and across the globe, uh, it's, it's really a, a despicable um, act, you know, to have her giving a commencement speech to the predominantly black uh, students at Megar Evers College.
2: Yeah, I posted the uh, event page on New Abolitionist Mm -hmm. Radio. For anybody in the area, please show up in protest of this. um, man, This is just devious. Yeah, Tag, Tag, are
0: you aware of any uh, efforts to counter her appearance?
7: Yeah, definitely. Um, Thankfully, uh, particularly the Haitian community out here um, has really been holding down the efforts of letting people know who she is and... Uh, how outrageous it is for her to be uh, giving a commencement speech and receiving this honorary doctorate. Um, so uh, there's a group called Comacoda uh, that's uh, behind the the efforts to combat this, and a, a number of other organizations, including uh, the uh, I believe the UAM is is involved, uh, and a few a few other organizations out here, but primarily the Haitian community has really not, um, you know, uh, are really not tolerating this and have been very vocal about it. And uh, so expecting to see a good deal of resistance to that um, travesty tomorrow morning. This is something that white
2: supremacists tend to do very often. When we were there as witnesses and to bringing the flag down in South Carolina, one of the final moments was they handed it to a black policeman who folded it up lovingly and honorably to hand it off to the person who would be putting it in the museum or wherever it wow. went and, and and you know it's things like that that they do that just are just sick the devious like you know what you're about Clinton you know what you're about and you're allowing this to go on and smiling while you do it.
0: No she's <laughs> not allowing it to go on We're, the public is allowing this Uh, people who are uninformed i don't want to criticize the descendants of of Megger evers but you have to question how much are they educated on her activities but tag i want to thank you man for for your report and your work with the black talk media project and especially you know letting us know what's going on in the new york tri-state area but we do got another call tag did you have anything else
7: No, just i would just point out that it's going to be at the barclays center which is as we know um a long-standing slave-holding family and so uh you know the the contradictions uh or i guess the consistencies are seemingly uh don't end in this story and just uh just shouts to all the abolitionists and to new Abolitionist radio for what y'all have been doing and uh
0: it's it's just it, truly, truly
7: important right now Thank you, Tag you remi- Tag, you reminded me, just saying real quick You
2: reminded me of what's happening in New York now With the upcoming Puerto Rican Day parade And the mayor has decided to tell people That they should not be honoring uh, Who they should be And who they should not be honoring Based on whatever he thinks is right or wrong While meanwhile, Rikers Island Named after a notorious slave catcher Is still carrying on that legacy To this day <clears throat>
0: We got another call from seven five seven. Oh,
5: yeah this is this is Otis again. Uh, he was giving some of that information. I tagged it on Facebook earlier. That's the protest Hillary resurrection at Barkley Center, seven o'clock till noon tomorrow. That's the Haitians. They've been on her since the the uh, Hillary Clinton when she was Secretary of State. Uh, actually doing that work for the Haitian Reconstruction. So they've been the most powerful group that have been steadily uh, protesting everything she's done in New York, and the media is trying to ignore them. Right. But they are the ones that put together this this um, protest for tomorrow, because I'm online with a couple of Haitians. And it's from 7 to noon tomorrow, and it's called Protest Hillary's Resurrection at Barclays.
2: All right. Well thanks, Otis They should be leading the way considering the circumstances that Haiti is under right now with contracts with the Geo Group who are housing Haitians in prisons that only with cells that only hold nine people holding ninety people in the cells right now. They're just rounding people up and throwing them into prisons with no charges whatsoever in Haiti right now. And that is partially due to the Clintons.
0: Yeah, um, the Geo Group got that contract after the earthquake, and we know Bill Clinton, as well as well Hillary Clinton, in official capacity as Secretary of State, with Bill Clinton being appointed by people in the Haitian government and put them over the hurricane recovery uh, efforts. Uh, the the hurricane recovery efforts, uh, and I mean there are so many issues there, but that article just came out a couple of days ago. About their prisons have the um, the highest overcrowding rate in the world in those prisons in Haiti, and I remember seeing that, and I was just just thinking about you know the Haitian Revolution, and 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 looking at it now, and looking at those pictures of all of those black people crammed into those uh, cells, and some of the stories reporting like Khalif Browder. Just picked up off the street. One of the guys been in there for three years and nobody ever told him what he was charged with, let alone gave him a trial. He escaped and then they picked him back up again, caught him again, and he back in prison and still ain't been told what he was in prison for. That is just so disgusting in the historical context of slavery in this hemisphere. Wow. But Max, I don't want to hold up uh, Sister Layla. Yes. Um. See, if we can get some final comments from her as we wrap up the segment ahead of our next, um, our last station ID break. Sister a quick.
3: I'm just excited, uh, Max. Yes. Like you said, when S J and the brothers um came on to the came on the scene and they're listening in. S J brought me in this movement um about July. I want to say maybe June, and I didn't know a lot about it and how we could get this done. I didn't know how you change a constitutional amendment. I didn't know the historical ramifications, um, how this is a worker's issue, and how to start moving people towards um, being an abolitionist and abolishing the 13th Amendment. I didn't know about the um, Lee Woods work um, before I met SJ and all the work Lee Woods did as far as um, trying to use the human rights article um, for the language. And I I only knew about you Max because you are on my husband's Facebook who's incarcerated, and he has had your radio station on there for a very very long time with the picture of Frederick Douglass. So and that and then all of a sudden you were connected. I was like okay we're on one we're on to something right now. And I just want to thank you guys. I look forward to Washington. Um, we're going to be in front of the White House. We're going to be heard. We're going to be loud. Um, we're going to make sure people understand um, the true issue of slavery still being legalized this country loves slavery there has not been a point in time where it has been truly abolished and we're going to demand that and i know with people like you max people like you scotty people like sj um people like kalika people like crystal we're going to get this done
2: yes and i'm ready to work somebody play me some glorious music right now. <laughs> some victorious, glorious <laughs> music because we're in it to win it. We're not here half-stepping. We're hoping that this next generation don't have to deal with what we're dealing with now. And we plan on ending it. That is the end game for us. And if you don't like it, then you need to get on board and do something about it. <laughs> Thank you for being here tonight Thank with you. us, Aziz. And God bless in your journeys and your efforts out there. Uh, you've got some Lifetime allies here. If you ever need us, we'll just call away. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thank you, Indeed. sister
0: Ali, uh, Layla, and you have a, a blessed evening. You too,
3: Scotty. Thank you for all you do.
2: You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio. That was our guest, Leila Aziz, out in San Diego and telling us about her struggle and her ideas and where we're going from here. And we'll all be meeting up August 19th in Washington, D.C. for probably the most historical event that has been seen in this country since the early 1800s. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio. We're going to take a quick message from our sponsors and we'll be right back after this.
0: Black Talk Media Project launched the digital radio platform Black Talk Radio Network, the first such platform created to serve the black community specifically. Black Talk Radio Network has grown with a variety of radio hosts, digital radio stations, and podcasters. Web analytics say Black Talk Radio, the platform, has an online reach that ranks it among the top independent black media platforms in the world. All of this is possible because of financial contributions to the non-profit Black Talk Media Project. If you love the work we do and the voices and perspectives we bring to you every day make a donation today to ensure that black talk radio is here in the future black talk radio is new black media for the
2: new millennium welcome back to new abolitionist radio um again want to thank our guests for joining us here tonight and then helping us to spread the word of abolition because abolition is the truth right now and the truths will defend itself. You don't need to defend the truth. You just tell it and it will defend itself. That's why we uh, get a lot of ignorance because rather than even consider it, they would prefer to ignore it because it's not something that you can really argue against if you simply look at the truth of the matter. Well, let's get into Hillary Clinton. A lot of been said about Hillary Clinton and some new information has come out and I thought it was epic how the response to it came. Again, a testimony uh, or a testament to the efforts of people like Leila Aziz and SJ and Crystal Roundtree and and us here at New Abolitionist Radio and Lee Woods and so many others who have been putting that abolitionist message out. There was a passage in Hillary Clinton's book, and I'm going to read the passage to you, uh, and it says, we kept down costs, is the argument for slave labor. One unusual aspect of living in the Arkansas Governor's Mansion was getting to know prison inmates who were assigned to work in the house or the yard. (laughs) In the house of the field, huh? When we moved in, I was told that using prison labor at the Governor's Mansion was a long-standing tradition. Yes, it was, Hillary. It goes all the way back to the 1600s, which kept down costs, and I was assured that the inmates were carefully screened. I was also told that one That one time, murderers were by far the preferred security risks. The crimes of the convicted murderers who worked at the governor's mansion usually involved a disagreement with someone they knew. Often, another young man in the neighborhood, or they had been with companions who had killed someone in the course of committing another crime. I had defended several clients in criminal cases, but visiting them in jail or sitting next to them in court was not the same as encountering a convicted murderer in the kitchen every morning. I was apprehensive, but I agreed to abide by tradition until I had a chance to see for myself how the inmates behaved around me and my oh-so-special family. I saw and learned a lot, and as I got to know them better, we enforced rules strictly and sent back to prison any inmate who broke a rule. I discovered, as I had been told I would, that we had far fewer disciplinary problems with inmates who were in for murder than those who had committed property crimes. In fact, over the years we lived there, we became friendly with a few of them, African American men in their 30s who had already served 12 to 18 years of their sentence. Twitter went nuts on this, and the way they went nuts is a beautiful thing to see because they started quoting slavery. They started talking about modern-day slavery. They started talking about the 13th Amendment. And to see these people speaking out when just five short years ago, we could barely hear anything about it at all. Nobody knew nothing about it. And now it's as if everybody seems to know and was ready to just slap back with the truth of the matter. So I thought that that was a wonderful thing to see and i like the fact that she has been exposed right here where she literally had slaves in her house scotty
0: yeah max um now this isn't a memory tied to new abolitionist radio but tied to black talk radio network and we haven't heard i haven't heard from her in a while and i hope she's okay but a listener, and she would call in from time to time, said, if not listening to Black Talk Radio, she would have been one of those that voted for Hillary Clinton. And as somebody who was trying to debate with me on uh, the black community support of Hillary Clinton, which was in high numbers. Now, we're just talking about black voters. We're not talking about all black people because the majority of Americans, period, do not participate in, in elections Uh, which of course is by voting but she had a very high support especially among black women but that black woman who had called in and said she didn't vote for Hillary Clinton because of the information she got off of this uh, network just let me know wow you know the impact that you can have on national elections if just a sliver of people and of course we got to give a shout out To uh, the Baltimore chapter of Black Lives Matter who recorded them questioning her after one of those events about her still taking money from the private prison lobbyists. So I just want to say abolitionists played a role in why Hillary Clinton did not win the Electoral College. Just that small, tiny sliver mostly millennials in the black community just would not Uh, cast a vote for her so you know again you know you never know what kind of impact you can have uh, on this system and and by just sticking to your principles of abolitionism Max Uh, Max can you are you there I don't hear you bro I hope we're not having issues again. Okay, we may have lost Max. Max, are you there? Okay, we appear to be having some okay. te- technical issues, okay, we got Oldest. I can hear Oldest Max, we're having some problems with your audio uh, Otis, did you want to
5: comment? Yeah, I, I was just wanting to expand on that, he was talking about, Clint, about uh, just that in Arkansas, what with, with the Clintons were going through the majority of southern states from Texas all the way across to Maryland, use that very same system Same thing here in Virginia, same thing in Texas, and and, uh, as a matter of fact, I I posted to your Facebook page another young man out of New York who has a project talking about that going through. He was just down in Louisiana, and he posted the very same thing, saying that when he went down to talk to the legislator, legislator, he looked around the Capitol. That's the only workers in there. Rather than give us jobs, people and make them work for nothing. The interesting thing about Hillary was something I learned at Big Brothers when I was out in Tucson and found out what was happening. Can you imagine? They give you the information. If you've got a person that's going to jail that's 16, 17, and 18, been in jail for 12 to 14 years, the only way he can get to that job is have an exemplary record, which means he's docile and not committing any problems.
0: Yeah, I think we have.
5: Basically, yeah, basically broken. yeah, you're exactly
0: right. This goes on in all the uh, governors' mansions across the United States. Well, I shouldn't say all, but I know I've read more of, about this same story more than once. Even including here in North Carolina, where they're using prison slave oh, yeah. labor. So this. Well, is, I'm telling.
5: I'm telling you. I'm going to give you some more information on your Facebook page. I just went over it today earlier. earlier. It is actually, they put, the guy put up the chart. It's across every southern state from Texas all the way to Maryland. It's a, as a matter of fact, he gives a digital map of it. And, and I would never seen anything that intricate showing it. So, it, and then I wanted to touch on another thing that Max brought up an article talking about Hillary that, where this excerpt was taken out of. But also you find out from that 1994 data that they went through to open records and found out. You can see where every one of the congressmen got donations from prison people or people who had prison contracts from the food to the clothing. So now you start to understand why it's hard to get anybody to call it slavery because each of them is making money off of it. They're either involved in the supply chain for custodial or the transportation. The, the stock that they own is all in the prison companies. They even have shell companies doing the maintenance for the prisons that are...
0: Okay, we lost your audio, uh, oldest Max, are you back with us? Okay. Okay, there you go. You're back. Um, Max, are you with us? Okay, Max still looks like he's trying to log back in. Uh, We've been having some gremlins in the system today. Um, Let me pull up some more because we're about to run out of time. Um, We have a couple of regular segments that we like to get to. Uh, I don't know if we'll be able to get to them all. We do have another program coming up at 10 o'clock, p.m. Mind, Body, and Spirit Radio, uh, which uh, is hosted by some lovely sisters, uh, um, Max. Okay, yeah, we're going to wait on Max. So I'm going to go ahead and just tackle the, the uh, abolitionists in profile. Uh, tonight on New Abolitionist Radio, our abolitionist in profile will be Paul Jennings. Uh, our abolitionist in profile is just where we highlight an abolitionist, usually from the pre-1865 slavery era. And so tonight we want to uh, talk about Paul Jennings, who was born in 1799, uh, transitioned in 1874. He was held in bondage by President
5: James Madison.
0: um uh, uh, oldest. I have to mute you, bro, because I get feedback off, off your line, and it kind of uh, throws me off. But Paul Jennings, uh, born again in 1799, passed in 1874, he was held in slavery by President James Madison during and after his White House years. After securing his freedom in 1845, uh, how he secured his freedom is he purchased it from Mrs. Madison uh, after James uh, Madison, hopefully with the hell. Uh, But Jennings published the first White House memoir. So it wasn't the president, it wasn't the first lady that published the first white house memoir no it was a victim of slavery a man by the name of Paul Jennings and his book was called A Colored Man's Reminiscence of James Madison and it has been described as a singular document in the history of slavery and the early american republic uh Jennings also played a lead role In planning the Pearl incident, which has been described as the largest recorded escape attempt by people from enslavement in U.S. history. So, I will post um, this to uh, New Abolitionist Radio's Facebook page where you can read about Paul Jennings and hopefully uh, gain some inspiration from him. So, New Abolitionist Radio salutes Paul Jennings. Salute! Salute! All right, we got Max back. Uh, we yes, got a caller uh, from my internet just
2: shut off for a moment. and I had to restart my router. Sorry about that, Scotty. Oh, that, hey,
0: that happens to me from time to time. Uh, we got a caller from the New York area, six four six. Did you have some quick comments for us? Uh, we're not able to hear you.
2: Okay, Max. Yes, Scotty, there was so much I wanted to cover today, but there's always more than we can ever cover. Uh, I'll post a lot of this stuff on New Abolitionist Radio so people can keep up to date on what's going on. I know we only have time now for our regularly scheduled segments. But one of the most important ones I wanted to point out that you should read is the uh, story on how 1.2 million people ended up with arrest warrants in New York and then multiply that times. 50 states across the Union And you'll start understanding where we're at At this point in time Um, Our next segment Which will be a rider of the 21st century Underground Railroad uh, We will be uh, Recognizing William Barnhouse Today who became The 350th person Exonerated through DNA evidence 350 Wow May 10, 2017, a judge today granted a motion by the Delaware County Prosecutor's Office to dismiss the 1992 rape charges against William Barnhouse based on new DNA evidence proving Barnhouse's innocence of the crime. With Delaware County prosecuting attor- Attorney Jeffrey Arnold's consent, the Innocence Project and the Wrongful convention- Conviction Clinic at Indiana University of McKinney persuaded a Delaware County Court to reverse Barnhouse's conviction on March 8th, 2017 Based on this new evidence Further proceedings in the case Were scheduled for May Arnold's decision to dismiss the indictment Against Barnhouse who was dealt His entire life with Serious mental health conditions Ends his 25 year struggle for justice And we here at New Abolitionist Radio Say salute and welcome To freedom Brother William Barnhouse
0: Welcome to Freedom, Mr. Barnhouse.
2: Indeed, man, twenty-five years with uh, you know mental health conditions, and you've been wrongly accused of rape. And we know how these things go. They ship these rape kits in uh, closets somewhere, and don't even allow attorneys to view them or find them to test them. There's a lot of those rape kits out there right now, with people petitioning to try to get them tested for DNA evidence. It's a terrible way to spend 25 years Where everybody thinks you're a rapist And you never were Well, so, That is our Rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad And as soon as possible I'll get that up on New Abolitionist Radio I'll conclude uh, our regular segments With our last Which will be our History of Rebellion And today we remember the Kambahi River Raid of June 2nd 1863. Scotty would you like to read some of that or you want me to just continue Oh you can continue Okay On June 2nd 1863 Harriet Tubman under the command of Union Colonel James Montgomery led 150 black Union soldiers in the Combahee River Raid. Tubman often referred to as the Moses of her people was a former slave who had fled to freedom in 1849 Tubman had been working for years to bring slaves from the south to the north through the Underground Railroad. However, this was the first time that she was asked to work on a major Union military operation. On the night of June 2nd, three federal gunboats set sail from Beaufort, South Carolina up the Combahee River. And I've been to that river, by the way. Tubman had gained vital information about the location of rebel torpedoes planted along the river from slaves who were willing to trade information for freedom. Because of this information, Tubman was able to steer the Union ships away from any danger. She led the ships to specific spots along the shore where fugitive slaves were hiding and waiting to be rescued. At first, many of the slaves were frightened by the Union soldiers' presence, but Tubman was able to talk them and convince them to come aboard. As Lincoln's gunboats traveled upriver, more slaves were rescued, and eventually 750 boarded the vessels. The boats, however, had a specific military mission. They carried Union troops who came on shore and succeeded in destroying several influential South Carolina estates owned by leading secessionists, including the plantations of the Haywards, the Middletons, and the Loans family. Many of the Union soldiers who took part in the raid were former slaves who saw the burning and pillaging of these estates as an opportunity to enact revenge on the master class. By the time Confederate forces learned of the raid, much of the damage had been done, and hundreds of slaves slipped away to freedom. A company of Confederate troops was sent to challenge the raiders. They were not successful, and managed to stop only one slave from escaping to gunboats. Confederate artillery proved most almost as ineffective since none of the rounds they fired hit any of the gunboats. Harriet Tubman was the only woman known to have led a military operation during the American Civil War thanks in great part to the intelligence she provided. the Union boats escaped unarmed, unharmed and the raid was a major military and psychological blow to the Confederate cause. And we here at New Abolitionists remember the Combahee River Raid of June 2nd, 1863. Salute. Salute. Well, Scotty Reed, man, it's been a powerful program. And I know we didn't get all the news that we wanted to get out there, but, you know, we'll be around a while and we've been around a while. So we'll have plenty of time to tell it. I well, mean, there is the one, stories keep changing, but the narrative is always the same.
0: Well, there is, we got time for just one more uh, story, and we mentioned David Kuma earlier. Um, it is very important that if you live in the, oh, is it again the 5th District of South Carolina?
2: Yes, 5th y- District of South Carolina.
0: And that will be what areas, Max? Um, That is Rock Hill. Okay. The well, Rock Hill area. Well, you have an abolitionist candidate that you can vote for. The election is on the 20th, so we're just 13 days away from that election. And so I want to play this video of David Kuma. for, And um, you can uh, also... Uh, find him online. I believe his uh, website. I've actually linked to it in the program description. I can't recall. I think it's David David Kuma dot com. I'm not sure, but I have linked to it. But he's running for Congress, and this is him uh, speaking on the issue of slavery.
8: Good morning. It's 13 days until the election, and it's been a couple days since I made one of these live ones. But so today, I wanted to make sure I mentioned. uh, Well, just obviously. I'm David Coleman. I'm running for Congress. Elections on June 20th. I'm the Green Party candidate and so uh, what I'm going to tell you about is an event that's on Saturday at our um, Rock Hill campaign office and then I'm going to ask you to give us money and help us volunteer. So then so uh, one of the issues I'm running on is affordable housing for people making twenty dollars an hour or less in this country and that means uh, subsidizing people who make uh, so people who spend more than thirty percent of their income on housing and utilities, that's what uh, the uh, Department of Housing and Urban Development calls, uh, says that you are cost burdened if you're spending more than thirty percent of your income on uh, housing and utilities so your rent or whatever. That means that so a lot of people are not buying like food or Christmas presents for their kids or, or you know having to, uh, kind of not pay their electricity bills or sorts of things, and uh, which is really hurting a lot of people. And We need to do something about that. And so one of those things is subsidizing people who uh, don't make very much. If you look in the, uh, actually I won't go that I won't say that next part. It's not really important at this moment. Then uh, the other part is we want to build affordable sustainable housing so that so we can actually uh, have a housing stock that people based on their current incomes can actually afford and uh, so they can uh, have a sustainable life on the on their income. Of course we want to raise people's incomes fifteen dollars an hour Um, But uh, so one of the things is uh, building uh, tiny houses. There's a guy here in uh, Rock Hill named Dale Dove who is the founder of the crisis center in town uh, which is called uh, Renew Our Community Rock and he started this uh, new venture of his recently in the past year or so called Renew Housing and he's built a little tiny house on wheels to go show it around and they've been building some other ones to see how um, how quickly they can do so. And so Dale is going to be at our campaign office on Saturday. That's the 10th and we have a we're having a, he's going to talk with us about uh, about uh, his about housing and his project and uh, so from three o'clock there'll be pizza near the end. If you'd like to come, our campaign office is 109 Hampton Street in Rock Hill. and Dale will have the tiny house he built in the parking lot that's just right across the street from us so you can come see it and uh, look around. It's really very nice and you can get an idea of what kind of things people are doing here in South Carolina to help those who need an empower well has to say help and empower those who need uh, you know, um, to find a sustainable way to live with their housing so that's on Saturday June 10th at three o'clock at our Rock Hill campaign office come meet Dale and me and eat some pizza um, also the so there's that's the housing thing so uh, then uh, we've got an event on the Facebook page, which basically is running from now, a few days ago, until the election. So we need your volunteer help to help us canvass in the community to get the word out about our campaign and the events that we're having. So after that one next Saturday, the week weekend following, we have two more on Saturday and Sunday. One's about education. The other is about uh, ending slavery in our prisons. So this should be um, our, the one we did on Saturday with David. So Sorry about that. Um, the one we had with David Keeley last weekend went really well, and learned a lot about healthcare, and ate some pizza with a few people. So, I hope you can come out. Uh, so we need, um, so we need volunteers. So, however you can do so, let us know, and we can get you some literature, or we can have you have call people, or I'm not really sure. Greg will get back to you. Um, so, finally, we need to. Have, we are still, hopefully, raising money for. Um, we've been raising some more recently, apparently, um, that. Uh, raising money to be able to afford to mail as much uh, direct uh, as direct mail to as many people as possible to let people know about our campaign here to really change and help people in this area of this very large area of South Carolina all 11 counties of it so um, every dollar you give gives us can help us reach four more voters so that's uh, so you want to go to vote Slash sorry about that. So uh you're gonna to go to vote. You're gonna to go to vote K U L M A dot O R G slash donate. And you can donate with our PayPal. There's a crowd pack crowd pack campaign. Both of those are on
0: uh that's the end of that video, Max, and you did hear him mention the uh event in about two weeks. Is it Max? Uh on yes. the eighteenth, I believe that's Monday. Yeah, Max, go ahead. Yes, I'm here. Uh, I just said the 18th. Yes. Okay, and if you could just quickly uh, tell us what will be happening that day.
2: Uh, It's a campaign rally for David Coma. his last uh, effort in trying to get enough votes to be able to get people to put him into office as a state congressman and an abolitionist state congressman. So you and I will be there trying to explain how modern day slavery works to an audience full of people who really don't understand it at all. And hopefully that will move them into voting for David because he's about doing something about this very serious and real current problem.
0: Well, Max, um, I guess we could go ahead and give our, our final comments I want to thank yes, our, our guest, Sister Layla, for her abolitionist work out there and all the different callers who called in uh, to share their knowledge and, and wisdom on this issue and the field reports that we have gotten about the resistance, the very real resistance. This isn't theoretical. This isn't, you know, something that doesn't have boots on the ground. And so I'm, I'm just very inspired to be a part Of this large and Growing movement
2: Yes sir And I echo your sentiments and also Send a shout out to TAG And SJ who called in to share And uh, Otis as well Um, Appreciate you guys as always And all the people who have been listening to us Here now 52 weeks a year For the past five years as we talk about One topic and one topic Only modern day slavery and human Trafficking Um, Just going to remind you As we speak And this is for those abolitionists Who are already uh, certain In what they're doing And understand what's happening Keep your eyes on the convention of states We need to be a part of that It is so crucial and important And if you don't understand it Then you need to start looking in deeper Call me, I'll tell you, I'll explain it There's videos on it But the convention of states Could be our doorway Into the change we've been looking for Or it could be an opportunity For white racist supremacists To Open up the Constitution for reinterpretation And I'm going to end like this I know what it's like to be completely wrong To believe nothing but lies To be so wrong it costs people their lives For some of my wrongs I can never make amends, But I can make a difference In how things turn out in the end I may not know everything but I do know one thing Which resides behind the curtain The past is already done And the future remains uncertain Change can start right now And become day one in a new way to live or it could be just the continuation of things you never did. Remember, a revolution, abolition, is a reason for a revolution, so we can finally know peace. Peace.
1: Rise lift rise eyes rise up, rise 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 up,